Well, open up your Bible this morning to uh, the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 6. I ask you to think about a time in history that was important for you. And I don't know what you said. I heard some different things. One person and I were interacting, and, and I don't know it's because we're men, but we said it seems to always um, revolve around times of war, and um, interesting how that works. But, but that's not all history. There's other history, right? But for me, that's been a, that's been a neat study for me. And, and I came across a quote. I know it's not, it's not original uh, to Winston Churchill, but, but he, is, um, he has said this as well, that those who fail to learn from history are what? Doomed to repeat it. Today we're going to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture, at a very familiar story. And we need to remember that God has given us His Word for a reason. Today we're going to look at the story of Noah's Ark, the account of Noah's Ark. And I want you to understand that this is history. This is not myth. This is not some allegory that we can draw lessons from. We need to recognize that Jesus believed this was history. And so if this is not a historical event, then Christ was either wrong or a lunatic, right? He's either lying or a lunatic because he believed that this was true, what we're going to see from Genesis chapter 6. Now, before we get to Genesis chapter 6, the the mathematician in me has to just point out just a couple things about Genesis chapter 5. So just bear with me, okay? Because we ended last time at Genesis 4. And Genesis chapter 5 is all full of numbers. And so, remember, that's my background, so I get kind of excited about it, okay? But I just want to show you one small thing. One small thing. You'll notice as your eyes go over Genesis chapter 5, it says here at the beginning, this is the book of the generations of Adam. And remember what we said about that word generations. It's where we get the title Genesis. And what it really means is, the way you can think of it is, this is the launch point. Okay, this is the launch point. So now Adam's descendants are launching from here, from, in Genesis 5. You'll notice in just a minute, when you look at Genesis chapter 6, the same thing is said about Noah in verse number 9. This is the launch point of Noah in chapter 6, verse 9. But as you run through the the numbers there in Genesis chapter 5, you see these ages that just blow your mind. I mean, for instance, in verse number 3, Adam had lived 130 years when he fathered a son of his own likeness. 130 years? Are you serious? Verse number 6... When Seth was 105, he fathered Enosh. Verse number 5 says that Adam lived 930 years. Now, I just want to put something up on the screen here. Um, This is taken from an article from... uh, Skip that for me. Um, This is taken from an article from a website, icr.org. And there's there's lots of articles we send your way over there on the table from this Institute for Creation Research... And one of the things I liked about this article that came across my Facebook feed yesterday, it was asking the question, did Adam really live 930 years? Now, I'll go forward one, one slide. Some of the mathematicians in the room will notice that this is a curve that's in logarithmic. Okay? This is an exponential growth. Actually, it's an exponential loss. And what it's demonstrating is, as we look at the years of, of the people that are listed in Genesis 5 and the rest of the, of the Genesis account, we see this very natural trend that occurs in all areas of decay. 
I see that, and I understand there's some outliers. I understand that Methuselah lived 900 and how many? 69 years, I believe it is. Looking for the number, I don't see it right now. Okay, 969 years. I understand that's an outlier. But what we have is this natural growth that all things on this earth demonstrate. Check out the article. It's very interesting. But I want to show you here Methuselah. Now, you'll see um, his name comes up in the account. Okay, look at verse number 21. Enoch had lived 65 years. He fathered Methuselah. Any Methuselahs in the room? Any name Methuselah? Probably not, okay? Now, the meaning of Methuselah is it's a little debatable, all right? Understand, that's a Hebrew word that all they did was transliterate the letters. In other words, they took the letters and they told us, well, this is the English equivalent, this is the English equivalent, this is the English equivalent. And so they end up with this weird name, Methuselah. I appreciate people with weird names. My name's Lowell, okay? I understand the battle that he lived in first grade, okay, when they tried to pronounce his name. Methuselah is the oldest living person that we know of recorded in Scripture. He lived to be 969 years old. And his name either means man of war, it's a little hard to translate it, or it means when he is dead, it shall come. So that's what the guy's name meant. So his mom went out on the back porch, when he is dead, it will come, come eat, right? I mean, that's, that's how this worked. This was a Hebrew word that meant that. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. He's going to be 969 years old. Now, if we walk through the generations that are listed in verses 1 through 20, what we find is he was born in the year 687. Okay? 687 years after creation, Methuselah was born. And he died at the age of 969. Now, if you take 687 and 969 and add them together, you get what? Yeah, I know. That's tough to do. You get 1656. 1656. You say, and? What is your point, right? Well, now Noah, through a similar method, we find that Noah was born in the year 1056. After creation, Noah was born 1056 years later. And the flood came. Anybody know what year? of Noah's life, the flood came? It's in Scripture. Okay? Let's see. When he was 600 years. Now, he was born 1056. We add Noah's 600 years to that, and what do I get? Can you do that one without seeing it? 1656. Now, wait a minute. I've said that number one other time today. When did I say 1656 before? Anybody, anybody with me? Methuselah, Pastor Billy said, died in 1656. The very year that the flood came on the earth. And what was Methuselah's name? What is the, what is the meaning of Methuselah's name? When he dies, it will come. Two things we need to draw from that. One, God is sovereign. The Lord is overseeing all things. It never came as a surprise to God that he flooded the earth. God has never been surprised 
by anything. God has a plan. That plan includes you and me. You, if you are in Christ, that was set before the foundations of the earth. God has a plan. And that includes creatures, us. And He is working that plan. And in God's plan, you're here this morning, here at Centerpoint Bible Church. And I don't know what He wants to accomplish in your life, but I know He has a plan. But the second thing is this. You cannot get away from the fact. You can try as hard as you like, but we cannot escape the fact that Genesis 1 through 11 is written as an historical document. Over and over and over again, God makes it clear that He is saying what He is saying and He is intending what He means. We need to recognize that God brought a global catastrophe. And He flooded the earth. And the whole earth was covered with water. And in God's grace... He preserved the lives of eight people who built a very large boat and they lived on that boat for a year. A year. They were protected there in that boat. Why? Because God had some special place in His heart for Noah and his wife and his children? Well, not exactly. Oh, I guess it included that. The why is this. Since the very fall of man... Since Genesis chapter 3, God has been ticking forward in time. He's been ticking forward in time to bring His Son, Jesus Christ, who would die to conquer sin and to defeat this great Satan of old, the serpent of old Satan, who came and deceived Eve, who then sinned, and Adam who was with her who sinned as well. And because of that sin, you and I live today as sinners. And God had to keep His Word. He always does. And so through the line of Noah, God brought His Son, Jesus Christ, as the Savior. Now I can go to Genesis chapter 6. Verse number 1. When men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any that they choose, chose, that is. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Now, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also after when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore them children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Okay, who will stand up for us and explain on what verses 1 through 4 mean? Anybody willing to do that for us? Yeah, I know. One through four has some things, and I am not going to pretend to give you an easy answer to what's going on there. I'll just say this, just for those of you that are curious, where do I come on this? Because it's a big question. Who are these sons of God, and, and what is going on here? I believe, as I study through all of Scripture, that there's some type of a demonic activity here, that the sons of God is referring to angelic beings who had, be, who had rebelled against God and had come in some way and and intermixed with humans, and and this was part of the sin that was residing on the earth. That's where I land on that. If you want to talk about it, we can get together at McDonald's and discuss it sometime. I want to drive on and get to how this applies to us today. Verse number 5. 
The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And listen to this. And every intention of the hearts, of the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved God in his heart. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. God's intention here was to end the creative experience, experiment that he had conducted. That was, his, that, was, that was his heart at this point. To end it. To wipe out man who is corrupt and increasing in their corruption. Who the thoughts of their heart was only to do evil. Reading on. I will blot out man from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, all that he had made, in other words, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now here's my intent for today. We are going to get through chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, verse 1. And we're going to go in high speed, okay? But really what I want us to see, my real intent here, is I want you to see that history is going to repeat itself. History is going to repeat. God has made it clear what He's going to do. Just like He told Noah, just like He instructed Noah, here's what I want you to do, because here's what I'm going to do, now go, Noah, go do. Just like that happened in Noah's life, we've got to recognize ticking forward in history, and you're going to see it in the book of 2 Peter today, it is just as true for us. God has revealed His plan. God has revealed what He's going to do. He is going to, you can look at it this way, God is going to uncreate the earth again. God is going to destroy the earth again. The only difference is the mode. First time He did it with water, second time He's going to do it with fire. But God's patience is great. His patience is great. And he is not willing that any would perish. But there comes an end where his love is then shown itself through his holiness. And so what we see in the Genesis account in chapters 6, 7, and 8 is going to happen again. Let's see it. First of all, we need to see the follower, Noah. Verse 9. He was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Now, Noah is no different than you or me. The only way anyone is ever called righteous, and this is a declared state now, okay? This is a declared state. He is righteous. This doesn't mean he's a good guy. It means he stands before the Lord with all holiness is what it means. This word righteous is talking about Noah's relationship with God, When God looks at him, he sees him as righteous. The same righteousness that he sees in his son, Jesus Christ. Noah is a righteous man. And he is only righteous, he's only righteous because he's put his trust, his faith in God. Let's go over one more slide. There we go. Good, good. It also says that he is blameless in his generation. Now, this is what this means. This doesn't mean that he was perfect. 
Believe me, you will see in Genesis 9 that Noah is far from perfect. We're going we're to unveil something for, in Noah's life that you're going to be shocked by. All right? He's not perfect, but he's blameless. What does that mean? That means that he is complete, is what it literally means. It means he is complete. He means that there is integrity. 1 Timothy chapter 3 would use this word, he is above reproach. The same thing that a pastor elder is called to be. It's a mark of spiritual maturity. I explain it this way. All of us have these circles of our life, right? You got one, and I got one. We actually have many, but I only have two arms, okay? So you got this one, and this is you, say, at your home. This is you at your home. And over here, you got you, we'll just say at church, okay? And what happens in our lives is there, a lot of times, there's some overlap, but sometimes there isn't, okay? And this is what I'm learning in life. As God matures me, as God matures me, the overlap becomes greater, becomes greater. You see, there was a time for me, like you, when I maybe was somebody a little different at home than I was at church. I mean, I'm not proud of that, and I'm not proud of areas that are still like that. But what blameless means is that you're complete. Integrity. It means you're the same here as you are there. As you are there, as you are there. Noah was blameless in his generation. That's what God calls us to. And when you feel alone, and when you feel like, man, nobody else in Martinsburg lives for Christ but me. I'm like the only one or the only person in my workplace or whatever. Can I remind you that in this day, there were eight. Eight people on the earth who were righteous and blameless. Wow. Eight. Noah was a righteous and blameless man. However, the world is different. Jump down to verse number 11. It says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Were filled with violence and corruption. Earlier in the passage, in Genesis chapter 6, in the the first couple verses, we saw that every inclination of man's thoughts was to do wrong. So man could think of no good to do. Everything man thought of to do, or woman, understand I'm saying mankind, everybody, their every thought was for violence and corruption. And so the world around this righteous man and the eight total when you look at his family, the world around them was filled exceedingly with violence and corruption. Verse number 13, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. So in other words, what this means, God is saying, and it's only going to continue 
their flesh, their bodies, are going to continue to produce people who are against God. I will destroy them with the earth. We need to recognize about the Lord. See, we're, we're seeing some things about man and, and about the world, but now we're talking about God. And it's this. Holiness demands a response. God's holiness demands a response. Now, I know how regular life operates. I know. I know we can, we can walk a line for a long time. I know that. In Genesis, the first couple of verses, it says that God decided he would contend with man for 120 years. What does that mean? Likely that means when God said this, he was going to wait 120 years. Going to wait 120 years before he brought the flood. Likely that's what that means. Somewhere after that, Noah started building. We don't know really how long it took Noah to build this ark. Okay? Many people say 120 years from that verse. Some of them say 100 years. Some people take the ages and so forth, and they come up with about 60 years. I don't know. It was a long time, though. And all that time, God's holiness was demanding a response. Demanding a response. A demanding a response. It's what the holiness of God must have. If God doesn't respond to sin, He's no longer God. People say, how could a loving God do this? And they fill in the blank. In Noah's day, they said, how could a loving God send a flood to wipe out all of man, right? How could a loving God ever do that? The holiness of God. If it ever ends, if God's holiness ever ends, he's no longer God. But God is not, he doesn't just have one attribute. So we get to the next part here. Verses 14 through 22 describe God's plan for how Noah will build this great ark, this great ship. And what we're going to see here is that love allows patience. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, verse 14. And now there's a great description given for what Noah is to do. Now this ark, you might have saw Herb and I walking around the room, okay, before church today. I wanted to step it off to see exact. I want you to know how big this boat was. Okay? Now, this is approximate. Okay, don't get your tape measure and check us, all right? We're counting this as, as a yard, okay? So, you know, give us some grace. But basically, the ark was as wide as that wall to that wall. Okay? And it was to the back side of that focus room right out there, all the way down the hallway to about halfway across the parking lot. That's the size of this boat that Noah spent at least 60 years, maybe 120, building. Very clear description from God. Three stories high, okay? It was, it was a system that Noah had to design. It, was, it must have been an engineering just miracle that God supernaturally directed him to make this huge ocean-going vessel. If you wonder, could all the animals fit on there? I mean, if you know, if you got like half a brain, that occurs to you. Could all the animals fit on there? 
It's a great question, okay? I've got an article here for you that I want to I hand to you. I don't, I'm not going to read it, but it's called, How Did All the Animals Fit on Noah's Ark? There's ten copies over there. Pick one up, okay? You can find yourself at creation.com. It goes through and explains some things that would have made this practical for Noah to do. For instance, not every breed of dog was on the boat, he didn't have a golden doodle or whatever those things are called. He didn't have, you know, he didn't have all, the, all those different basset hounds and beagles. didn't have all that. One dog will do. Well, I guess two dogs will do. <laughs> right? Secondly, God wouldn't have to take the huge dinosaurs. What? Dinosaur on the ark? I believe so. I believe so. Yes. You need to not picture that little, like, nativity-type set thing that you've got with that, you know, little boat, looks like a rowboat with a big giraffe sticking its head out and the elephant. That's not what this thing is, all right? This was not a, you're not driving this thing. There's no rudder in the back, and he's trying to, you know, go into a harbor or something. This thing is for survival only. All the ark does is float, but it floats well. And it preserved his life. And what it demonstrates is that love allows patience. God gave very clear direction. Verse 22 of chapter 6. Noah did all this. He did all that God commanded. And chapter 7 goes on to explain how the family here of Noah was protected and provided for. For instance, God had them bring two of all the animals. Actually, God brought them the animals. And he, had bring the, he brought seven pairs then of clean animals. For what? For eating? For sacrifice when they're done? Okay, God, had, God directed them. God even shut the door of this boat. God himself shut the door. Now, just taking chapters 7 and 8, I, I just... I have a list of things that I want to just say to you about it, okay? Because I knew I'd be getting low on time. So let me just, let me just run through some things that that really struck me in studying this. Some of these are really deep. Like, number one, the ark was a big boat. That's my first thing I wrote down here. Okay. Yep, yep. And Noah worked a long time. I think I already said that. But thirdly, this. You know he was opposed. Think about it. You know Noah was opposed. In in Matthew chapter 24, listen to what Jesus says. For as were the days of Noah... You see, Jesus really believed Noah was a historical figure. Hmm. We're going to argue with Jesus? Hmm. As in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Here's what that means. People were walking by Noah and living their regular old everyday lives. And you know what corrupt, vile people do when they live their everyday lives and they walk past wackos who are building a big boat. You know what they do. They're scoffing. They're laughing. Noah was opposed. But I appreciate in Hebrews chapter 11, which also references Noah as a historical figure... It says that he was a man of faith. 
and he preached repentance to them by his very life. I believe that Noah, as he was up there sawing and hammering and doing all the things that he had to do, was calling to the people around him to repent. Repent. Turn to God. There's coming a flood. It's going to wipe us out. And along with him, by the way, think about this. Five of Noah's great-grandfathers were alive during his life. Five of those guys, third descended down from Adam, was walking on the earth the same time as Noah. These are men whose great-grandfather were named Adam, was named Adam. There's only one. And they are talking about the God of the universe all the time. Those guys, as time went by, died out, and Noah was there alone. He and his wife, his three sons. Noah preached repentance, and I guarantee you Noah battled discouragement. I know he did. How do I know that? Because he's listed in the faith chapter. And faith is being sure of things that you can't see. That's what it is. If you don't have struggle or doubt or discouragement, it's not faith. Here's what I mean. And I've used this illustration with you guys before. I have no faith at all that this thing is going to hold me. This requires no faith. That's no faith. There's no faith there. Noah was rewarded. I'm sorry, he was affirmed for his faith. Why? Because there were times when he was discouraged. There were times when he was down. There were times when he was pouring his heart out to God and saying, did I really hear you right, God? Did you really tell me to build this boat? Because they're laughing at me. They're scoffing at me. They think I'm an idiot. But I'm going to keep going by faith. I will not quit. I will not give up. Don't diminish his faith to you standing on a chair. It's the same level as you walking into your workplace and being willing to stand up for Christ. It's the same level as you in the hard conversations that happen at work and all these things are going around. Well, I think this. Well, I think that. Well, I think this. What do you think? And they all look at you as the token Christian in the room. And now you've got to speak. He was opposed. God was supernaturally involved. The flood was global. The flood changed everything. Know that? Where I like to trout fish, very seldomly, but that's another point, but where I do enjoy to trout fish occasionally, all right, there's this huge rock structure there above the river. I mean, it's like, you know, a half mile high. And you look at that and you have to come to one of two conclusions. This either happened because water ran here for billions of years, slowly wearing away. Or there was a catastrophic event and a huge gush of water came through here and wiped out all of this, and left that rock. The rain fell for 40 days and nights. 
Now think about what that would mean. 40 days, 40 nights. But don't stop there. Because it says the water continued to rise for 150 days. Actually, 110 more days, a total of 150 days. Where'd that water come from? Where'd that water come from? Well, what God said, what the Lord said, is that the waters from the deep came up. And they came with force. And when they came out of the ground, so did my favorite rock on the south branch of the Potomac that I love to look at. Boom! There it is. When the earth opens up because the Creator wants to flood the earth. So we've got to come to one or two decisions. But the flood changed everything. And finally, for now, we need to recognize the plan was fulfilled Look at chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah. Why? We'll jump back to verse number 20 of chapter 8. Right after they get out of this ark, okay, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal. Thank you, God, for thinking of that, right? Thank you. And some of the clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart... I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. In verse nine, verse 1 of chapter 9, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You see, God directed him to continue the process that God had established in Genesis 2. Now, to demonstrate to you, and i got to go quick, to demonstrate to you that history is going to repeat, all you got to do is turn to one book of your Bible. Turn with me quickly, you got to go quick, to 2 Peter. Turn with me to 2 Peter. You're going to have to, this week, pull out these passages and look at them in detail because they will challenge you deeply with what God intends to do. 2 Peter is a great book. It's written near the end of Peter's life. He's speaking to the heart of believers and challenging with the fact that God is going to return. And what I'm going to quickly tick through here is that everything that's true of Noah is true of us. It's true of us. They got these on the screen for you, so you won't have to turn possibly for all the passage. Number one, this. Believers, we are righteous and blameless, just like Noah. If you're in Christ, you're righteous and blameless. Look what he says here. Verse 4. He has granted to us his precious and very great promise. We are righteous before Christ, before the Lord. We're righteous. And blameless, I trust, as God works in you. Turn over now to 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 10. Look what it says here. Speaking of this wicked world that is earlier in the very chapter compared to Noah, it says that in the lust 
This world it has defiling passion and they despise authority, bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Jump down to verse number 19. Listen to what the world says today. They, being the world and the corrupt, vile world, promise freedom. But they themselves are slaves of corruption. There's our word. The world that Noah lived in is no different than ours. He just had smaller numbers. It was still vile and corrupt. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Notice what it says here. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment, the destruction of the ungodly. The Lord, it is still true that His holiness demands a response. Verse 9, He's not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards us. You see, love allows patience. Jumping down to verse number 11, we see that the family of God, His people, are protected. The provided. Now listen, believers die every day for Jesus. And in that process, they are protected because they are then ushered into the glory of God. You know how you feel opposed? So was Noah. You see, history repeats. But the plan will be fulfilled. Notice verse 14 of chapter 3. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting... Be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish. Verse 19 says, To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You see, as in the days of Noah, Noah was a righteous man living in a vile world. And you all should say this, Me too. Me too. Noah was called to obey, to obey God's direct command. Go, build an ark. We are called to obey God's direct command. Go, make disciples. See, Noah obeyed. We should all say, ready? Me too. Me too. Noah was protected to the very end. I mean, he died. He's with the Lord. But he was protected. God in His grace protected him. You should all say, me too. Just like Noah. Just like Noah. Let's not be surprised. Let's be resolute. Let's be men. Let's be women of faith. Let me pray. Pastor Billy, come and lead us in a song, but let's pray. Oh God, You are so faithful. We are so faithless. Lord, I thank You for Your love and for Your grace that is new every morning. Lord, that preserves, that protects, that challenges, that directs. Lord, You've done all these things in our life. And Noah serves as an example to us. An example of what it means to walk by faith. An example of what it means to have a God who loves and a God who leads So, Lord, we pray as the captain of our soul, the faithful one, I pray, Lord, that you would call us to worship you through our own faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.